morning. How's everybody doing? Glad you're with us this morning. Thanks for uh, choosing to be with us on this fourth Advent Sunday. Uh, University students, some of you may be in town, uh, away at school and in town visiting family and being with family this Christmas time, and we're glad you're with us. And uh, we've been praying for a lot of students who are away and at home and praying for some refreshment and rest for uh, all the college students and excited to get everybody back in a few weeks. And as Timothy said earlier, if you're a newer guest, we're really glad you're here and hope you feel welcome. And if you didn't grab a welcome bag, please do so uh, on the the way out. Uh, But uh, this is the last week of Advent and Advent is a a Christian season by which we celebrate the first coming of Jesus Christ in a season of watching and waiting in faith for the second coming of Christ. And uh, Advent, like like many Christian celebrations in North America, has been sanitized by our culture. Uh, we rightfully celebrate, right? We should celebrate in the season, but oftentimes it's with sentimentality. Right? We enjoy this season of uh, shopping for presents and uh, fun parties and uh, kids who used to sit on Santa's lap before the pandemic. I don't know what kids do now uh, in, in that regard, but we love our peppermint lattes and Christmas light shows and put out our sweet nativity scenes of baby Jesus. We put angels and stars on the top of our Christmas trees, but the coming of Christ was and is anything but sentimental. Uh, the coming of Christ does more than lift up our spirits. It truly changes the world. And this morning, we're going to look at the response of someone who understands this. And the response is a song of praise for how the coming of Christ changes her life and the world. We're going to look at the song of Mary, the mother of Jesus. This song is widely known as the Magnificat because that's the first word in Latin of, in this song or poem. Magnificat means magnify. This song is the first Christian hymn written for the church. And it's written as poetry. And it burst out of the mouth and out of the heart of Mary because God's word intersects her life. The angel Gabriel comes to her with good news that she's going to give birth to the Savior of the world. And her response is this poem song. Poetry and song is a a form of expression that causes the reader or the listener to slow down. One shouldn't rush their way through a poem or the words of a song. We slow down and we let the words do their work on our minds and our hearts. And so we're given Mary's song so that we can slow down in this Advent season. And when we slow down and we're honest, I think we all come face to face with the realities of our lives in this world and try as hard as we may to ignore, numb, or avoid. The reality is that all of us have pain and hurt sadness, sin, and brokenness. And our world is filled with pain and hurt, sadness, sin, and brokenness. And we pray that God's word would intersect our lives in this moment so that a song of hope of a better future through the coming of Christ might burst forth from our mouth and our hearts like Mary. If you're a Christian, it's not simply enough to say what God has done for us in the coming of Christ. What has been done for us in the first coming and what will be done in the second coming must be celebrated in song. And so we're going to turn our attention to Mary's song. If you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to look at Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 55. This is God's word to us this morning. 
And Mary said, Mary sang, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped a servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Isaiah tells us the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Pray with me. Lord God, I ask that you would by your spirit, help the words of this poem song make our hearts sing, make our souls and our spirits sing. May we see you, God, for who you are. May we understand the salvation that comes in Christ. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing. And we need to hear from you, so would we see and hear only you, Jesus, in this moment. In your name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, a couple of years ago, I was eating dinner uh, in Chicago with one of my former seminary professors, Dr. Richard Pratt, uh, who's had a huge influence in my life. And uh, Richard left seminary years ago, and he started a, a nonprofit ministry called Third Millennium Ministries. It's a ministry that exists to give biblical uh, education to the world for free. It's an amazing ministry. Uh, created to train leaders all across the world in their own la language at no cost. The curriculum is now produced in over 20 languages distributed throughout the world. And as a result of his ministry, Richard travels and he worships uh, with churches all across the globe. And he said something to me at dinner that night uh, that has stuck with me. He said of the thousands and thousands of churches that he's visited, that he is able to tell the health of the church within the first five minutes of worship. And he does this by listening to how the church sings the first hymn or the first song of worship. He, he asked, does the church simply move their lips and reservedly sing, or does the church join their voices together, exalting and celebrating in jubilant worship of God? I think about that conversation often because it, it makes me question, what is true about us, Christ Central Church? Do we gather together on Sunday mornings and just enjoy the unbelievably talented, gifted worship team? Do we watch them become enamored by their talents, barely moving our lips, acting more like observers than participants? Or do we participate and join this team singing deeply from our souls like Mary, bursting forth in jubilant worship? If Dr. Pratt were to attend our worship service for the first five minutes, I wonder what he would say. Mary sings, and the question that I want to ask you this morning is, will you sing like Mary? Well, who is Mary? I think most of us probably know that Mary is the mother of Jesus. At the time of Luke chapter 1, she's between the ages of 12 and 15. She's from the town of Nazareth, which is the place that had the moniker, no good shall come out of Nazareth. She's poor and uneducated. She's a Jew who has her hope placed in the coming Messiah who would redeem God's people. Kent Hughes said that Mary is a nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. And it's Mary 
who's been chosen by God to give birth to the Messiah. Now, before I get into Mary's song and her response to this news of Christ coming to and through her, I want to encourage you, uh, those of you who are here this morning, and you're checking out Christianity. Maybe you're inquiring around the claims of Christmas and what it means to be a Christian. Uh, we're glad you're here. Uh, let me encourage you with this, that when the good news and uh, uh, God's word came to Mary through the angel Gabriel that she was going to give birth to this Messiah, the Savior of the world, Mary did not immediately receive it and believe it. If we were to read the verses right before the passage I read in Luke chapter 1, we see that Mary's quite confused about the appearance of this angel Gabriel who's telling her of this news, and, and she questions, how, how am I going to have a child since I am a virgin? And I say that to say this, that it took time for Mary to be convinced of the good news and to believe the truth of the coming of Christ. And so if you're here and you're processing the claims of Christianity, the claims of, of Christ, we're glad you're here. Uh, and we realize that everybody processes the claims of Christianity and, and everybody's journey of faith is different. Uh, so everybody has different speeds, asking different questions. There's different issues. And so we want you to feel welcome. We're glad you're here. Please be honest about where you are in your journey. We hope you keep coming back and being with us here at Christ Central. But we're going to look at Mary's song together. And the first thing that we see is that it's a song of wonder. Uh, look at verse 46. Mary sings, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Mary is saying from the very depth of her being, her soul and her spirit, she magnifies, she exalts, she lifts up God, her Savior. There is a deep interior life for Mary that is gripped by the truth of Jesus. And when those two things embrace, a song bursts forth. See, Mary's song is filled with God's word. It, it, it's somewhat an echo of 1 Samuel chapter 2. Hannah's song. There are parts of Mary's song that echo Genesis and Deuteronomy, Job, Psalms, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Zephaniah, and other Old Testament scriptures. And some scholars believe that this song in Luke 1 of Mary, it's too sophisticated to come from a young, poor peasant girl like Mary. But I believe that this song reveals that Mary had been hiding God's word and hiding God's truth in her heart her whole life. So that when the good news of salvation coming to the world through the coming of Christ intersected her life, she burst out into a song. Mary is filled with wonder at God, who she's known through the Old Testament scriptures. This God who she knows in the depths of her soul and spirit, who's now telling her that the Messiah is going to come through her to change the world. So let me ask you a question. Are you allowing God's word to tend to your soul and your spirit, to your deep interior? Are you hiding God's word in your heart? For without the truth of God's word, we will only have shallow worship. But with God's truth, when it intersects our life, we will burst out with wonder-filled worship. One other thing about Mary's song, being a song of wonders, is that when she sings, she sings, my soul magnifies. This word magnifies means to enlarge. Mary's chief aim was to enlarge her vision of God. If you realize that there's no mention of Mary's son in her song, why not? 
Because Mary had a vision of God that looked beyond just her gift. Seeing the greatness of God for the sake of the world. Did you see what moves Mary to worship? She worships God's mighty power, his pure holiness, his mercy towards sinners, his faithfulness to his promises. She was moved beyond her circumstances and rejoiced in the grandeur of God. Wonder-filled worship happens when God enlarges our vision and moves us beyond seeing only our small lives and the small part we play in this world to seeing the grand story of salvation to the world, his greatness in his world and in his kingdom. John O'Donohue was an Irish teacher and poet. Uh, Our family this summer, while on sabbatical, memorized a line of one of his prayers of blessings. Uh, And I wanted to to give it to you as a gift this morning. This is is just the one line from a longer prayer of blessing, but this is what we memorized. He prays, may you experience each day as a sacred gift woven around the heart of wonder. May you experience each day as a sacred gift woven around the heart of wonder. When our vision of God is greater than our tiny lives and our tiny, uh, just our tiny lives and our circumstances, we're led to wonder at how great our God is, yes, in our life, but in all the earth. It's a song of wonder. Secondly, we see Mary's song is a song of humility. Look with me in verse 48. Mary sings, He looked on the humble estate of his servant. It is the lowly, Christ central, it is the lowly who sing deep songs of worship. And Mary does not become low. The truth of Christ coming to her helps her realize she is low. And then in humility, she sings. God could have chosen someone wealthy and someone powerful, but he preferred a young, poor peasant girl from the middle of nowhere. Humility is a right response to Christ's coming to to us. Look at verses 51 to 53 again. He, He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. God humbles the proud. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones. God humbles those in positions of power. And the rich he has sent away. God humbles the pride of the wealthy. Anything that humanity could boast in, intellect, power, wealth, influence, morality, social status are demolished by the Son of God. As one person rightly said, Jesus is the world's most dangerous baby, for he flips the world upside down. And humility is the right response to the coming of Christ. And pride is the most deadly response. Uh, I've told this story before of a pastor that I knew in Orlando, Florida, while I was in seminary. He was in his 30s, pastor of a a large, very fast-growing church, and he ended up committing suicide as a result of living a life of infidelity and addiction. And it came out that as he prepared for his suicide, he also had prepared for his own funeral. To the detail of what songs should be sung, what staff members in his church should have a role, he even wrote his own obituary. And there was one line in his obituary that might be a telltale sign of what led to his downfall and his death. So he was, he was about five feet, eight inches tall. But in his obituary, he wrote that he was five feet, 11 and three-fourth inches. He always thought that he was bigger than he was. And pride destroys. And if we live trying to magnify ourselves, we will never sing deeply. We are meant to worship God from the depth of our soul. And this happens when we know we're little, when we're humble. 
Now, you juxtapose this pastor with a woman named Jane Marchuski, who goes by the stage name Nightbird. Maybe you saw her this summer. Uh, she went viral uh, in her performance on America's Got Talent. She's 30-something years old, diagnosed with cancer three times already. Husband left her. She spent most of her money already on medical treatment and only has a 2% two per, two chance of survival. She sang this beautiful song in America's Got Talent, but that she also wrote a blog post that went viral as well called God is on the Bathroom Floor. It's a blog about how she... It's a blog about how she learned to see God's grace in spite of her struggles, in spite of her sickness, in spite of her pain. Listen to what she, she wrote. She goes, God, call me cursed, call me lost, call me scorned. But that's not all. Call me chosen, blessed, sought after. Call me the one who God whispers his secrets to. I am the one whose belly is filled with loaves of mercy that were hidden from me. And then listen to this. Even on the days when I'm not sick, Sometimes I go lay on the bathroom mat in the afternoon light to listen for him. I know it sounds crazy and I can't really explain it, but God is in there even now. I've heard it said that some people can't see God because they won't look low enough and it's true, look lower. God is on the bathroom floor. God is on the bathroom floor. God meets the lowly and gives them a voice to sing deeply. Jesus turns things upside down. The humble will be exalted and the proud will be brought low. This is a song of wonder and a song of humility. Lastly, it's a song of revolution. In verses 51 to 55, Mary goes from singing personally to singing about the nation and about the international nations. It's almost like a play, the play Hamilton, if you've seen it. Uh, act one, Alexander Hamilton comes out on stage singing the Battle of Yorktown. The world turned upside. We won, we won, won. That's what she's doing right now. Mary is singing about the coming of Christ, bringing down kings and kingdoms. Mary is singing about the upside-down nature and power of God's kingdom. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote that the song of Mary is the oldest Advent hymn. It is at once the most passionate, the wildest, one might even say the most revolutionary Advent hymn ever sung. This is not the gentle, tender, dreamy Mary whom we sometimes see in paintings. This is the passionate, surrendered, proud, enthusiastic Mary who speaks out here. This song has none of the sweet, nostalgic, or even playful tones of some of our Christmas carols. It is instead a hard, strong, inexorable song about collapsing thrones and humbled lords of this world, about the power of God and the powerlessness of humankind. I didn't know until last week, learning from another pastor, that this song of Mary has been banned by oppressive governments in India under British rule, Guatemala, and Argentina because of its revolutionary rhetoric and subversive hope. It is a song of revolution that kings and kingdoms will bow down to Christ the King and God's kingdom will be the only kingdom standing. And do you see the way of God's revolutionary kingdom here? Humbling the proud, filling the hungry, lifting up the poor, sending away the rich. And the life of King Jesus shows us this. 
For he rebuked the self-righteous Pharisee. He broke the vicious cycles of poverty, bondage, fear, and death. He lifted up those who were low. He went about healing the sick, transforming lives, and empowering the powerless. And one day when Christ comes for the final time, every mountain will be made low, and every valley will be lifted up, and all kings and all kingdoms will bow down, for the revolutionary king will establish his kingdom forever. And until that day, we sing this song. And we point to the coming of his kingdom. And the way we do that is by living in the way of kingdom revolution. We pray for and we seek for people to be healed, for lives to be transformed, for the poor to be provided for, for bondages to be broken, for the powerless to be empowered. We get involved in our city. We engage our society. We love our neighbor with the hope that God's salvation will come. You see, the song of Mary is not, we wish you a Merry Christmas. It's a song from the soul that burst out of Mary, a song of wonder, humility, and revolution. Will you sing this song? Eva Cassidy was a phenomenal musician. Beautiful voice. She performed in Washington, D.C. bars and venues. While alive, she was mostly hidden. Uh, She sung in very small venues uh, throughout the D.C. area. And the thing about Eva Cassidy is that she only sung what moved her. I mean, she would, she would not sign a, a contract with a big record label because she would only sing what moved her. In her early 30s, she was diagnosed with melanoma, and she died at the age of 33 from cancer. She had this extremely loyal following, friends and, and fans, and they convinced her to put on a, a last performance while Eva had cancer. And one of the last songs she sang was, How Can I Keep From Singing? Eva Cassidy, with a body laden with cancer could not help but sing. Does the gospel of Jesus and the coming of Christ explode like dynamite in your soul and spirit so that you can say, no matter what happens in this life, how can I keep from singing? May you sing, may I sing, and may we sing together from the depths of our souls and spirits, just like Mary. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would Help us to hear, not just with our ears, but our souls and our spirits. The music of Christmas, your love and your grace coming and coming again. And I pray that you would transform us, give us wonder, gift us with humility. Help us to embrace the reality of your revolutionary kingdom. We thank you for how you're at work in us and through us. Be with us now as we come to your table in Jesus' name. Amen.